So after hearing that reading, you're probably thinking one of two things. <laughs> Chose the wrong Sunday to come to church. <laughs> Or I chose the wrong text to preach from. <laughs> We're doing this series um, where I'm presenting lectures by Dr. Howard Thurman. Howard Thurman was a mystic, but he, is, he has profound insights into scripture. And so in celebration of Black History Month, I've been doing some of his lectures. I've actually only done one, the one on Micah, the first Sunday in February. And then this Sunday, I'm doing Hosea. And just to finish out the Black History theme, since we had a wonderful presentation by Dr. Aaliyah last week, I'm going to do Amos for the last one next Sunday. And some of these are very deep and profound um, lessons. And the subject matter, as you just heard, can be very challenging. So just process as you can, and then hopefully you can take um, some grains of wisdom and insights away from that. Let's pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Here begins the lecture by Howard Thurman. Hosea is the second of the writing prophets, and unlike Amos, Hosea was a peasant. He was a rural. He was a dirt man. He was sensitive. He was a poetic person. He, he was gripped by one terrifying passion, and that was that Israel belonged to God and that God belonged to Israel. His concern was with the abandonment of their religious belief. Israel had abandoned their belief in God, and his concern was the way in which Israel worshiped. Hosea is not particularly concerned as Amos was with righteousness, as we will see next week. He, he's not concerned with the way the impersonal city, the people in the city dwelt. He wasn't concerned about that. He wasn't concerned with the business person, the traffic on the city that tended to cause people to build power and security for themselves. He's not concerned about that. In a secondary manner, being cut off from having the face, the contact with all the misery of the world, that's not Hosea's concern. We find nothing in Hosea's writings that says, let justice roll down like a river, as we will find in other writings. He's not concerned with social issues as such, but he is concerned with personal piety and the way in which that piety makes it possible for an individual to live a life that is really worthy of God. That's Hosea's primary focus. And whenever you're studying scripture, you should look at what is the, the focus or the agenda of that particular writer. This is total sidebar, but if you're looking in the gospels and you're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of those four gospels have different emphasis. And that's important to know because each of them are speaking from their particular vantage point and how they understand the happenings of their day. And 
The three, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, again, this is just a total sidebar, are called the synoptic gospel because they have similar stories that recount similar events in the life of Jesus. But when you get to the gospel of John, most scholars call that a different gospel because John's focus is on Jesus being the son of God. And so when you're reading biblical texts, you have to say, what is the focus of this particular writer? What is this writer really trying to communicate to me? And so Hosea's story is one that's really a very tragic one in some ways. He married a lady named Gomer. She was the daughter of a man who was one of the leaders of the Baal cult. And their first child was born. And he said the name of that child was Jezreel and for the valley of Jezreel that Jehovah would wreak vengeance on and destroy upon Israel, violating the covenant and falling away from worshiping God to worshiping false idols. Gomer became barren. She was unable to have children after that. And so she, she had the life that she had lived before she married Hosea, because she was now unable to have children, was the life that she went back to after she had her first child. That's an interesting point. Got to file that one away. That she went back to the life that she was living after she discovered she couldn't have any more children. So, Total sidebar, if you want to take notes, if you want to listen to a really entertaining, well, maybe I shouldn't describe a sermon as entertaining, but if you want to hear a really um, entertaining sermon on this text, Google Jasper Williams and his sermon entitled, I Fell in Love with a Prostitute. I mean, it's, it, it, it's about an hour long, but it's, it's a total different take on this particular text which focuses on different elements of this text and primarily the role of Gomer and her relationship with Hosea. It's a very interesting thing how um, the things that loom significance in our life, it, the things that we are accustomed to are the things that we go back to in times of crisis. The habits, the idiosyncrasies that we have. Pay attention to that this week. What's your go-to in times of crisis? You know, for some people, it's they go up and <clears throat> roll in a shell when they're in a time of crisis. For some people, they, you know, they're ready to duke it out. <laughs> what, what is your go-to? In Gomer's life, she went back to what she was accustomed to. She went back to what she was familiar with. And at the times when we're, our back is against the wall, in those times of crisis, usually the things that are intimate part of our life and process of living is what we end to go back to. That's what Dr. Thurman is suggesting. It's very interesting. When, when the pressure begins to get really close, when it gets really close on us, the things that we reach for 
are the things that are the deepest part of our experience. The things that has long sustained us. Think about that. Think about your life. What's your go-to? Sustained us as a part of our, do you have any personal examples? I'm not asking you to share, but, <laughs> but do you have any personal examples of that? Here, Dr. Thurman then begins to tell the story of when he was in divinity school and one of his classmates um, was a Japanese fella. And he said, this Japanese fella, he spoke perfect English. You, you couldn't tell by listening to him that he was born and raised in Japan. But in the middle of his sermon for his graduation, in the middle of his sermon, he said something that hit a core of his culture and he began to preach in Japanese. That was his go-to. And there have been occasions when I've been preaching and people say, you didn't even hear yourself say something in Jamaican dialect. I said, no. <laughs> but people have come up to me and said, Kenneth, you didn't say this. You said this, this and that, this and that. <laughs> so when Gomer wanted another child and she couldn't have a the behavior patterns with which she was familiar resurfaced. Think about your life, think about my life. What comes to the surface? When the back's against the wall. I'm not judging, just asking you to make some introspection. The behavior patterns which she was familiar with resurfaced and came to the rescue. It was her go-to. So what did she do? She went back to the temple bail and in the ceremonial of significance, she became pregnant. Scholars called it the temple prostitution. And she conceived. It's very interesting, isn't it? That this is, I, I don't want to, and I'm, I'm, this, is, this is Dr. Thurman's words here. And he's, he's, he's kind of having this conversation with the people as he's speaking. And he said, I don't want to get off on the side, but he says, it's very interesting. And, and that's what Gomer did. That's what she did. We understand that. So this child that was born after was given a name by the prophet, and then another child, and then another child. Now, according to Jasper Williams in his very entertaining sermon, he says, and I, don't, I haven't verified this, but he said that Gomer ended up having several children and Hosea would later find out that none of these children were his. She went back to the lifestyle that she was familiar with. Now, let me just say here, I know that often scripture paints a really not so nice image of women. So I'm not here to support that. You know, and I, I don't usually preach on texts like this, but it's just, it's, it's one of the lectures that I thought was very powerful. So she has all of these children, one by Gomer, one by Hosea rather, and then has all of these children afterwards 
then he would later discover that none are his. But all of the deepest, all of that was what was deepest in Hosea. And he came to the rescue in this crisis. And what was deepest in Hosea was that, that God, Jehovah, was the God of Israel and had a private covenant. When you think of the word covenant, what do you think of? You know, Sean, when you think of the word covenant, you probably think of a legal binding contract. <laughs> That's the way attorneys think of covenant. But when, when clergy persons think of covenant in terms of like the covenant of marriage, for example, it's the term that I like to use, it's a promise of the heart. It is a contract and it is legally binding, but the covenant of marriage is, is a promise of the heart. It's my heart promising another person's heart that I will keep this promise with you. And so Jehovah had this covenant. Jehovah had this promise, this, 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 this binding of the heart with Israel. And Israel went flirting after other gods. That's, in a nutshell, what Hosea's book is trying to develop, this story. So Gomer then is used as an example of Israel going after, you know, you're in this relationship, you're in this binding covenant of the heart, this promise of the heart. But when things didn't work out, she went looking for something else outside of the binding covenant that she had. And that's the same thing that Israel did. When things got bad, their go-to was not to Jehovah, but their go-to was to the other gods. And so Gomer became known as a harlot, an outcast in, in the love of her husband. And Hosea could not forgive her, not merely because he had borne other men's children, but because she had dared to insist that the other way of living was better than how she was living with him. And if she's right, if she's right, reason the prophet, if she is right, then the nerve center of, of our heart is kind of paralyzed. How, how could that be? If Goma is right about Baal, if Goma is right that things were better outside than inside of the relationship, then maybe Israel was wrong about Jehovah. That, that's, what, that's what Hosea is questioning. If it's better, you know, like they say, the grass looks greener on the other side. My mom used to say, if the grass looks greener on the other side, then the water bill is a little bit higher too. <laughs> if she's right that she can get better out there, then what does that say about God? Does that mean that I can get better if I go to another God? That's the question that Hosea is raising. 
the meaning of life, the, the faithful significance of this promise, this binding contract, this, this promise of the heart that God had between Israel, the, the magic and the mystery and the beauty of God kind of surrounding Israel as God's people. Yahweh over Baal is the question that Hosea really wants to ask us to consider. What about in our relationships? Our relationships with God. What happens when things don't go the way we want them to go? What happens when the prayer isn't answered? What happens when the door isn't open? What happens when the way isn't made? What, what happens when that relationship was just going and then all of a sudden it turns What happens when there's more days in the month than money in the bank? <laughs> I had to get that right. I had to think about it. <laughs> what happens then? Where's our love and our trust and our faithfulness then? That, that's really the question that this text is asking about how Israel related to God, not only in the good times. It's easy to pray when things are going well. It's easy to read your Bible. It's easy to come to church when the cupboards are full and the accounts are full and all of the children are healthy. It's easy to do that. What happens when those things aren't the way they're supposed to be? And that's the problem with Hosea. Whatever your problem may be, however great our tragedy may be, if we can somehow kind of pull it to some kind of downsize, minimize it, we can, we can really take care of it. And that's what, that's what Hosea is trying to do. He's trying to downsize the problem. That's what the children of Israel are trying to do. They're trying to downsize the problem. But if we pull it to the downsize and, and it still gets overwhelming for us, what do we do then? What do we do then? That's what Hosea is trying to do. How can I manage this problem? How can I think about it in a way that will keep me from being destroyed by it? How God isn't answering the prayer, how can I manage this problem? And then Jose said, maybe I'm being taught something about Israel because of this situation. Look at Israel. She has behaved the same way that Gomer behaved. And what has God done? What has Jehovah done? Well, Jehovah is hurt, according to Hosea. Jehovah is just as hurt as Hosea was hurt about the relationship. And when Hosea felt, you see, that Jehovah was hurt as he was hurt, for fundamentally the same reason, that kind of softened Hosea's hurt. 
because Jehovah's shoulders were much broader than Hosea's shoulders. And then he could shift a little bit over to Jehovah. He, he could manage his anger. He could manage his frustration a little bit because he says, oh, God's going through the same thing that I'm going through. That's, that's, that's a story in a nutshell. And of course, that is at once the secret of uh, confessional, isn't it? It's very interesting. <laughs> so Hosea says, Jehovah looks upon Israel with the same sort of anger, with the same sort of disgust, with the same sort of disdain and pity. Then he looks upon them with compassion. Why? Because it, God loved Israel just as much as Hosea loved Gomer. And because Jehovah loved Israel, Jehovah could never let Israel go. That, that's a sermon in a nutshell. That God loves you and I so much that no matter what we do, no matter where we go, God cannot let us go. So what does Hosea do? Hosea goes chasing after Gomer. And love brought her back. Hosea goes to where she is, you know, and sometimes we, we, you know, in the church, we build a building, we say, you need to come to us, but sometimes the church needs to go to where people are. It's not about building a steeple, it's about going where people are, sitting where they're sitting, standing where they're standing. Go home. Hosea goes to her and love brought her back. I could go on and on, but I'm going to stop right there and say, I don't know who needs to hear this. Oh, I don't know who you need to tell this to. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter where you are. God comes chasing after you. Isn't that a song? <laughs> God comes chasing after us because of the covenant that God has made with us, the promise, the heart felt promise that God has made with us. Let's pray. Thank you, dear God, for this. It's a tragic story. It's a sad story. And, and, and we have already acknowledged that it doesn't paint women in a favorable light. And so we thank you for those stories like Mary that balances it out, you know, the the mother of Jesus in, in scripture, but it does paint the, the love that you have for each of us in a favorable light. And sometimes we feel that we've missed the mark. Sometimes we feel that we have messed up. Sometimes we feel that there is no redemption for what we did, said, where we've been. 
what we fail to do. And so thank you that love comes chasing after us in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen.